0: Hello everyone, today I'm talking with composer-musician Rob Lord. Rob's most recent and probably his most well-known work is scoring the 2020 Amazon Prime film Troop Zero, which follows a group of outcast young girls in a sort of Girl Scout troop in the rural south, and it's a really lovely, heartfelt film while Rob Lord's score is what he calls Cosmic Country, a mix of country, folk, bluegrass elements, and electronics. Rob's also scored a number of other films, a number of shows and documentaries, and has been in a variety of rock bands over the years, and still makes Krautrock. He's also an old-school video game composer, having scored a number of video games dating back to the early and mid-90s, such as Just Cause 1 and 2. I'm really happy to finally get this interview out there, because Rob and I first met one another virtually back in February or March of 2020, and had basically been trying to schedule some sort of interview ever since. It took us about four or five months to finally schedule and record this, which was, I hate to say, back in September of 2020, and I'm only just now getting it out. So, I appreciate Rob's patience. You can find Rob online at his website, or on social media as Rob Lord, and of course you can find me on my website, thefilmscore.com, or my social as well. We're nearing the end of the season, so I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you enjoy a couple interviews left to come. Now sit back and I hope you enjoy. Rob, I really appreciate you joining me. We've been trying to have some form of an interview for maybe the last three or four months, but finally <laughs> the stars have aligned a little bit. So they I'm have, really yeah. glad to have you on here.
1: Great. Well, very nice to be here. Thanks, Nicholas, for uh, having
0: me. Yeah, of course. And it's, we've, we met online, I don't know how many months ago at this point. So it's really oh. nice actually seeing you relatively in person at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, as, uh, I mean, this is it at the moment, the whole COVID thing. This is yeah. as close as anybody can get. Doesn't The Atlantic doesn't change anything. It would be like this if we lived next door, you know, so, uh, yeah.
0: Although I might at least see you getting getting out, checking your mail or something. So that it'd be, it would well, be a little closer.
1: A piece of string and two tin cans, you know, between the houses and just... Uh, <laughs> I think, I think
0: the, the audio quality on that might be a little worse, though. <laughs> That's true,
1: yeah. How have
0: you been keeping busy so far during COVID?
1: well i've been quite lucky i've had a a relatively busy year so far which seems amazing i mean you know really really does i think it's been very fortunate at the start of the year from january i had a a us tv show in kind of like a sort of forensic kind of scientific kind of history investigation type series with a sort of uh, nordic noir style kind of score you know a bit of mystery some nice atmospheric synthesizers and guitars and that sort of thing and then in late february start of march they had to stop production because they you know like many people they couldn't get into the edit facility and then amazingly a film came in a feature us feature and you know i had to go through the kind of it wasn't a, a pitch as such but i sent a reel of kind of it was a comedy and I sent a reel that was quite they'd seen um, Troop Zero a film that I'd scored so they were kind of interested in that and I sent a reel that was comedy is a tricky genre I think for me anyway, the, the last thing that I wanted to do was anything that sounded too kind of jokey or funny or whatever. But I just sent some things that I thought were interesting and a little bit left field and quite quirky and things that I thought were um that they would find interesting sonically. And they, they re- really liked that. They really enjoyed it. So we got started pretty quickly actually. The film arrived fully finished at the start of March, more or less. I mean it was it was all done. It looked great. It hadn't been graded, but it looked really good. Uh, they had a, a finished edit. And it was fully temped from start to finish with tons of music. There's just loads and loads of music from the Grand Budapest Hotel, actually. Mainly, oh, okay. uh, Which is a great score. You know, yeah. really, it's a great film, isn't it? So that was a very different situation to the work that I did on Troop Zero, where I had started work on that film over a year before they started filming. Just from the script, there was no temp music at all. And it was all just written a lot from the script and then some visits to New Orleans and then coming back and working with the editors while they were still filming, just sending over pieces of music. And so by the time they got to their edit, there was a lot of music and all the main themes were written already. Whereas with this new film, it arrived completely temped. So very, very, very different. And then I suppose people might have different approaches to receiving a fully temped film. I'm going to use terms like temp because I presume everyone watching this would understand, you know, temp music, what that is. Right pieces from other films generally that are dropped in by the editors but you know in my case I just thought well I I love that score I absolutely love it but I it, it isn't i mean it's a very specific sound that he's gone for, you know, which right. is, is brilliant, but it isn't right for this film, so that was good. you know it was nice not to think oh, I need to do anything at all like that um you know sometimes you refer to tempos and things because it's been edited, or sometimes you don't you know and um, musically, what I did was extremely different to to that nothing like it at all and uh, the director was great to work with i mean it was a very intense process um he was in LA. i a i'm here in the u k and he is a really lovely guy, a very talented filmmaker who is very on top of music and actually a really good music editor as well himself. And I mean, we spoke all the time. I worked seven days a week for three months on that film. They were long hours. They were like 14 hour days. It was really intense because during that time, it was extremely difficult to book any sessions, record anybody. So I had to do almost everything myself not everything there were a few remote sessions that I managed to get together but a lot of it I did myself and it was quite slow really you know and then you know I'd be getting calls from LA at like six in the morning on a Sunday I'd be getting them at 11 o'clock at night you know because you've got both ends of the day and that's really fine I'm not complaining because those conversations were focused and the director was just a lovely guy to, to work with but it wasn't we spoke every day for three months we just spoke all the time and that went really well so then i finished that film in june and just before finishing that this us tv series came back to me and they'd managed to get a kind of remote editing facility together and they'd worked out a way of carrying on and they were doing like a 4k edit so it was quite hard for them there's a lot of data to move around and that sort of thing so they waited for me which was really great so then amazingly then i got another month on that show and then I went on holiday, which is, I haven't had a holiday in the summer for maybe five years. I'm always working, you know, I'm always working over the whole summer and my kids go away with my wife. And, you know, it's, it's a shame, but we've, you know, we will. It's not a tragedy. We do get holidays, but for whatever reason, they don't tend to be in the summer. And um, so, I, yeah, I was able to go away and now I'm back. And there isn't a job in right now, but there are some potential things coming up. So I'm kind of doing this. I suppose, typical composer thing of there are some technical things to do. There are new hard drives to be fitted. There are things to be backed up from previous shows, new sample libraries to be installed. And then I'm listening to things and I'm starting to put together some ideas. And I have a piano downstairs. So quite often I'll sit downstairs while I'm i don't know my kids are doing their homework or whatever and annoy them you know you just sort of think of something you just like sit and play a little thing and then go back to it and keep going back to it because if i've got time go back to it for a month you know just keep playing it and just do little things or do variations and and then perhaps record those on the phone you know i'll often do that just Hmm. at the iphone and just stick it on the piano and just record a little thing and and that's really really useful because then when it comes to a crunch time when you're like okay we need themes we need all this music You've got this stock, so that's really where I am at the moment. It's a strange time
0: well that is I'm going to say that's a lot more than I was expecting, and I think <laughs> a lot more going on than I've heard from most composers, so i mean that's that's really fortunate for you, yeah, and yeah. yeah, i mean how how nice that you have four really busy months and then your European vacation
1: yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: you mentioned that that you've been listening to things to kind of get new ideas and see what's out there. I mean what are some of the things that you've been listening to right now?
1: Well, but there's a film that I'm interested in with directors that I've worked with before, and we've discussed that film to a degree, and I've had a script. And so that is a film uh, called A Special Relationship. It's about Elizabeth Taylor. Up until now, the attached actress is Rachel Weisz. You know, so it's a big, big deal. And the story is kind of about Elizabeth Taylor and her assistant, who's a gay man. And it's kind of set around the time when the AIDS epidemic burst into the the world this terrible terrible thing and of course you know at the time there's no cure people just really don't know what to do i mean i suppose there are some parallels to what's happening with with covid although well i'm you know it's very difficult to compare these things i don't really want right. to say which is the worst but i mean I, I remember you know that time i'm old enough to remember the, the mid 80s and um, and how frightening it was for for everybody so anyway as part of that I've been listening to some things as a U.S. label called Dark Entries, which mainly release kind of gay, gay porn soundtracks. That will be kind of lots of electronic, electronic music. And, you know, it's quite interesting, really. I mean, there's a guy called Patrick Cowley, who was a big kind of star of that, that scene and that label. And he'd worked with people like Sylvester. You remember the track Mighty Real? You know, you make me feel mighty real. It's a g- really great. The original is much higher. I went to, I remember going to see Sylvester in the 80s and Divine, I saw Divine when he played, who's like John Walters, you know, famous kind of film star and also, you know, sort of singer and musician and things. So I've been listening to a lot, a lot of that. I'm not sure if that will be part of what I'm going to do. I mean, it's not that I want to pastiche those things at this point it's so far off and it's not even a dead cert that I'll do it you just open yourself up like antennae you know sort of scanning and not try and be too prescriptive or, or be too sure of anything at this point just listening and you know maybe you can sort of abstract out parts of that musical genre I mean I've been reading about things like people recording drums using like say a, like a microphone like an sn 58 as a kick drum and playing in sequences by hand instead of everything super tight electronic sequency kind of sound. Things played by hand using delays and things to kind of give you that kind of metronomic thing but it's still got a bit of that kind of soul by the fact that it isn't super tight. I think those things are interesting you know and I mean I'm lucky, lucky enough in the studio you know I've got a Selena string ensemble from like sort of 1978, I've got an ETI 4600S International Synth from 1975, you know, there's a Mo Prodigy, there's a sequential circuit, you know, all these bits of gear are from those, those eras. Who knows, there might be a bit of fair light. So that's, that's interesting. There is that, and I'm combining those listening kind of projects I've made, playlists and things on um, Spotify and listening on YouTube and whatnot. Binding that with just writing some melodies and just trying to get together some ideas that I may start to work up into some pieces that I may potentially play to, to the directors. And then there are a couple of other things that, that may well be coming up. So again, you know, I'm just starting to sort of put together some sample libraries and, you know, list, and just try and keep these plates juggling because you never know what's going to happen. Right. And um, if one of those kicks off first, then it gives me something to, to start from. So that's kind of it, you know. So I've I've been listening to that. And then, you know, I mean I'm listening to, I mean, we you and I were talking before we started today. I mean, you were saying that, you know, you you have the facility to listen to music while you work, and I think that's brilliant. It's great. I don't really have that. You know, many composers don't because you I can't hear any music at all. I can't even hear it, I can't hear anything in the house or I can't hear my (laughs) neighbours or any of that. If I hear any music, you know, I'm not gonna swear, but it messes things up. So that's tricky, but I will be listening to things. There's a lot of work listening. There's lots of things where playlists are sent to me by music supervisors and that can be really interesting. And then, you know, I'll also be listening to I love Bowie. I love Germanic. It was called Krautrock, Rock, which I don't know right. if you've come across that, but you know, bands yeah, like Molly and Fast. I,
0: I have a little bit, but it's it's one of those genres that is when you dig a little deeper, it's such a big important genre. And so yeah. many bands I've listened to are adjacent to that in some way but it's it's just one of those where for whatever reason I I haven't spent the time to really dig into it so I I know a couple bands like um Faust and a few others I guess
1: yeah yeah yeah. are great and um and Noi I think as, as a guitar player yourself I think Noi are really worth checking out you know he's a, Michael Rhodes is a really great guitar player um and it's a really interesting sound but um, but yeah and then you know I mean I listen to all sorts of newer artists as well. I try to be listening. I mean I thought the Kelly Lee Owens it's very electronic but it's also kind of ambient mm-hmm. it's got that kind of David Lynchy kind of thing going on. I thought it's really interesting. Um, we talked about pop music and there's a band called Salt S-A-U-L-T And they had um, a track called Wildfires, which was just this kind of really dark, atmospheric, very subtle piece of pop. You get bands like Idols that are just super powerful and, and energetic. And those things are really interesting. You know, when you're thinking about film scores, I mean, I have a band background anyway. You know, that is my that's where I came from. So the energy that you get from, you know, some of that music is a really, really great I mean, and, you know, obviously enjoying some, some film scores as well. I, I don't follow film scores, particularly slavishly, because I'm, I'm not trying, consciously not trying to emulate any of the composers. I'm, I know it sounds like holier than thou, but as you've probably seen yourself, there's a, there's a whole trend amongst people that like to specialise in, for instance, programming orchestral, epic orchestral music, And, you know, people understandably want to uh, try and sound like, say, aspects of somebody like Hans Zimmer. And that's a very common, common thing. I love Hans Zimmer. I think he's a super talented, super talented composer. I love the fact that he, although he's got his sound and his musical style, I just love the fact that he, um, he comes to each project and researches and and just does such a good job of of things, and he seems like a lovely, lovely guy as well. But again, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like him. I've no interest whatsoever in in sounding like him, and I probably couldn't do it anyway. And but I do see a lot of people who want want to do that. It's not for me to give anybody advice, but personally, I I would say don't try and copy anybody else. You know, what's the point? I mean, it's just do your own thing, hopefully, and and that's it. But well, it's um, it's
0: interesting that you that you mention people. Copying or you know at least yeah. being very inspired by Hans Zimmer, but
1: yeah,
0: you know I I think for a lot of those people they're basing that off of the sound from his 21st century blockbuster scores. Totally.
1: But yeah, but yeah.
0: even if you you know you listen to his scores from the 90s and the 80s and they do have a, a very different sound, but I mean yeah, he has he has a lot of more recent scores that sound so different. Totally. You know, yeah. He did the holiday, which very different from what he normally does. I watched yeah. The the Little Prince a few nights ago. so a 2015 mm. animated film. He co-composed the score on that. And I didn't realize it was him. But mm. it's it's this, you know, really delicate score that sounds so different from the kind of stereotype of this just crushing sound. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think I, I guess people are listening to, you know, Dark Knight, or they're listening to Inception, which mm-hmm. just sounds incredible, you know, and, and what a joy to listen to that. But yeah, you're right. They're like, wow, this is this is it. This is film scoring. That's it. And that's an aspect of it. And it's very, very hard to do do well. But there are plenty of other ways of, of approaching right. things. Um, and, and I
0: think that's something that people miss quite often, getting more into film scoring, is the almost necessity of being able to do so many different genres I mean you take yeah. you know what what you've been talking about Troop Zero is very much a modern bluegrass folksy like a folksy Americana mix but then mm. here you are talking about another film there being an 80s electronic yes. influence
1: yeah that's true that is that is true yeah I mean um yeah I, I suppose that's true it, there is something to be said for having your sound but it's so nice when everything everything connects you know and it's all bespoke and it's all for that for that thing and you know it's I suppose it's obvious but it it just makes it makes sense on every level every piece of that puzzle I mean that's you know when you see a great film every single element of that film connects they all everyone's on the same page which is a very very difficult thing to do you know it's I mean one of the hardest things I suppose and this is why I guess when people develop long term working relationships this is why Because I think um, one of the hardest things is getting everybody to agree, you know, when someone says green, that you don't mean blue. Everyone needs to know, everyone, like the costume designer, you know, the script editor, everybody on that film needs to be pointed in the same direction so hard. You know, such a hard thing to do because you might think, you know, what, you know, everybody feels. But I guess that's the part of the director's challenge, really, whoever they are to impart that kind of vision on on everybody working on the thing. And as a composer, you know, you hope to speak and discuss things and send musical ideas and things before anything gets started so that you all have that vision together. And then that's that's great. You know, and I think films really work the best, you know, when that that happens. And when it doesn't, you're just like, oh God, that one piece. No, that's, that's a bit, uh, but that happens as well, doesn't it? You know, so it's right. hard, hard to make a good film. Otherwise, it would all be great, you know, and they're not. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, you know what, I'm, I'm sure though, as the composer, I don't know if you watch everything that you've scored after it's finished. But I mean, mm. that's got to be so easy to do as a composer. If you're watching the finished work and you go, oh, did I really put that cue in there or, you know, this melody or...
1: You know, yeah. c- because
0: it's, well, it's, yeah. it's easy to infinitely critique whatever you've done.
1: It is. In my personal experience, my take on that would be, you know, I don't know, you know, you might, you might have been convinced to drop a particular sound or, um, you know, something, and, you know, looking back on it, you might, or put something in, you might, you know, that might be something that every time you watch it, you could think, oh, you know what, I could have done that. Or if you, for whatever reason, don't happen to be at the mix, then you're just never sure what you're going to get back personally if i could if i can be at the mix i mean a lot of people don't want composers to be in a mix i can understand why but it depends on the person you know i'm pretty easygoing, and i'm not sitting at the back going make music loud all the time or or any of right. these cliches i think that it's it's good to have your composer there if you can because quite often for instance cues are meant to be required you know you've written something it hasn't it's not supposed to be this big loud crashing thing it's supposed to be required or there are lots of little things that matter they may not matter to everybody but they do matter so um if you can be there then it's for i think for everybody it's a really good good thing and hopefully you have time during the process of, of writing and recording the music to. if there's something you feel really strongly about you can you should talk about it then hopefully you've got a good relationship and it just flows quite naturally so that's uh
0: it's interesting that you mention you know that some directors don't like the composers being at the mix. I watched the film Capone oh, yeah. that came out earlier this year. And it was mm. actually scored by LP. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Kind of mm. an American hip-hop rapper yeah. and producer. The score surprised me so much because I've listened to some of his music with his group Around the Jewels. And yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really good. But yeah. I had no idea what to expect because it's a film set in the, I think it's the late 40s. Sounds and, like a good
1: idea. In all honesty, my initial reaction is that sounds like a good idea because it sounds tough. Sounds like it's got attitude, you know. I'd be yeah, I really mean, and,
0: and in you know it. what? He he just did a great job. Yeah. But because I I'd listen to the score on its own and then watch the film, and that was something that I noticed in the in the yeah. film is the level of the score is quite often so low that it it gets mixed in with background noises. And so I actually ended up watching the film using my headphones because I could crank up the volume and and hear it a little better. And it comes through more that way and it's, it's a more Mm. complex dynamic sound. But if you're just watching on a computer or your TV that has just kind of a standard speaker, you don't hear a lot of it. So it's, yeah. I imagine it's tough because if, especially if you're intending a film to be shown at a movie theater, the sound quality of a theater setup is hopefully much better than what the average person has at home. And so in an ideal world you're building it for that and it's gonna have this really deep sound and it's gonna hit all the levels Mm. and Mm. it'll be heard in a way different from at home. But I think it's I think it's gotta be tough setting those mixes now because at what point does the director, the composer, the sound design have to consider the the home release above the
1: theatrical yeah. release. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I really don't. I think it's, I think it's quite difficult. Yes, it is, it is difficult. But you hope that even a TV with a soundbar and a sub, it's a pretty good sound. You yeah. know, you're still getting a pretty good sound as long as you're listening to that at a decent volume. What can you do? you know it's just I mean some people are going to watch it on a laptop someone's going to watch it on an iPhone. It's just one of those things you know, but um I guess people still aim high and uh, and then it's diminishing returns as you as you go yeah. down you know.
0: but then you get someone like David Lynch who is you know so anti watching things on your phone, and mm. you know that he's never going to make a film or of series or anything with the idea of watching it on your phone. I think the closest thing he'll do is he has, a, he has a, a daily YouTube series, and that is more lenient towards how you consume it.
1: Okay, he did that thing as well, didn't he? What was it called? Was it called him like this island earth or something? It was a kind of a thing that he filmed using like 80s VHS cameras, I think. I might be wrong, but um, my memory of that is that the, um, the visual quality is quite deliberately Fuzzy, you know, a bit like you may not remember, but in the days of like VHS cassettes, they would be watched so many times, they'd be rented and watched over and over again. It meant that horror films like Cannibal Holocaust, I Spit on Your Grave, you know, all these horrific titles of, of films, they were kind of given a kind of an additional sort of cachet and mystery because they were, they just were a little bit fuzzy. You couldn't see, you know, the fact that in fact it's someone wearing a rubber suit, you know, with like, tomato ketchup on their uh, their arm it just looked kind of real you know and the sound was all kind of fuzzy as well it was quite a cool, cool that's,
0: that's interesting especially for cannibal holocaust where i don't, I don't know what to say <laughs> whether it's the original or not but i mean it's it's one of the like really early found footage type films and yeah. so One of the, like, big controversies was, oh, how much of this was actually real? Like, did they really, you know, impale this person? Mm. And so having it on that fuzzier quality... Exactly. It it adds a a level of authenticity, especially at that time.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we (laughs) were... You you were talking about collaboration, how all that works in. I know that you've done a lot of films for the uh, director duo Burton Birdie, especially Troop Zero being the latest one. I mean, has... Has that kind of long tenured collaboration really kind of streamlined the process for you?
1: Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's it's great. We've worked together now for I'm not sure sixteen, seventeen years, and the first things that we did, you know, we did some no budget or low budget. I worked on their first short film that they made and subsequent shorts that they made. I mean, we pretty much hit it off straight away. You know, they're kind of really open minded, really creative, very open to conceptual ideas and they' absolutely definitely not looking for a recreation of anything else musically or sonically they they appreciate things that are quite original we worked on those films and looking back on them you know they still stand up i mean i worked on lots of short films and some of them they were it was a learning experience but you know they were okay but but the ones with bertie were were really good and they're still really good you know they they had a kind of a bit of a a genet thing going on a bit like delicatessen you know Mm. that kind of thing initially and then they kind of developed from there but visually very very strong right from the off, and just good ideas. You know, they just got good ideas, and then we did a, some of the bits and bobs, a little bit of TV, a little bit of advertising, and then they left the UK and they moved to the States. And fortunately, you know, we we continued to stay in touch. They got their first feature when they moved there, which was for YouTube Red, um, and that was a film called Dance Camp, and and it, you know, not exactly their thing. They were just brought in as directors. They didn't write the script, but they did a good job. They did a really good job and it looks good and it's it's funny. And there was a lot of licensed music in that film, but I did some work on it. Um, and there was another musician, a guy called Graham Kearns who worked with me on that as well. And, you know, we just did some work on on that kind of across the Atlantic. And so we established that that, that could work. Then I did some more, we did a few kind of, they produced a couple of TV pilots and I, I did some work with them on, on those. And we've just done everything together, really, you know, you can never presume, you know, I'll never presume that they will continue to work with me. But so far, things have gone well, and we really enjoy it. So that's great. I'd be very happy to uh, continue working on it with them. So anyway, that's been really good. And I think I hopefully they would agree. You know, we you do develop a shorthand and it proves to be quite easy to, um, you, you know what you're getting into. I'm sure they do as well. You know, if we've got a new thing coming up, I think we could just be on a call straight away and we'd be off. You know, there's no sort of trying to establish a common language. So that's that's good. Having said that, I mean, you know, the last last film I worked on, Randy, the director, was A really easy guy to work with luckily he knew what he wanted you know he'd he'd written the script he'd co-written the script he'd co-edited the film he was an experienced filmmaker and was good with music as well and so you know it it certainly wasn't a struggle to work with him you know it was it was he's a different thing that's a new relationship but maybe that's fortunate that he happened to be a really good guy and and knew what he was doing which was which was great I suppose you, you you never know you know you've you've all got to Ideally, you find people that you um, you chime with, you know, culturally you get on, you know, you have the same sense of humor, same aesthetic kind of values and and things. I I think if I was a director, I wouldn't be as interested in in hearing pitches for things or demo music or anything as I would be with sitting down and talking to people and just getting a feel for them, you know, and just wanting to know, do we have things that we, we like in common? You know, can I feel that you understand me? You know, can we talk? Because I would say most proficient composers can get to an end. It's not like we're a library. We don't have to have the music written right now. You can work with me on something, and even if it isn't right now, in a week's time, hopefully it will be right because we'll work to an end. But I suppose there's a degree of trust involved there, you know, and directors have to kind of give up. And, and, you know, when they decide to work with somebody, they need to feel that they'll get what they need. You know, there's a lot of pressure.
0: I was going to say, especially because scoring is generally you know one of the aspects that the director can't really directly intervene in if they're yeah. like they can they can get in the editing room they can take over the cinematography they can take over all these things but yeah they can give you feedback on the music and in very rare cases do they step in like i know charlie chaplin was famous for that but yeah. i mean that's that's going way back yeah it's, it's something that's just Pretty out of their hands, so yeah. There, I mean, I imagine there does have to be pretty strong level of trust there.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, I suppose the extreme example of that would have been somebody like Bernard Herrmann, just kind of turning up with a finished score that no one's heard, basically apart from a few melodies, you know, on a piano. And you know, on the day, a few bits and bobs can be tweaked, but time is money. You've got a whole orchestra sitting there, you know, and thankfully the work is stunningly amazing, and you're lucky to have it anyway. (laughs) Um, But I mean, that really is the utmost. Interest, isn't it i mean personally i'd be into that you know i just like the idea
0: of it i i just love how open you are to these experimental approaches just like how we were what we were talking earlier about neil young just showing up improvising the whole score yeah. of dead man and then dusting his hands off and walking away i don't know how the the outcomes would generally be but i i don't know, It it just sounds like it'd be a a very interesting way to kind of expand how film scores are done.
1: Absolutely. And not, you know, I mean, I, you know, I went to art college, not to music college. And so I guess I have, have that in me. Personally, I'm interested in not necessarily controlling everything. I like to be surprised, maybe set up systems where things can go wrong or they can do something that isn't just a sort of repetitive action you know it may throw up something that you find interesting or or somebody records something or something's improvised and and you take this thing and then you manipulate it and find something new i think a lot of people enjoy that kind of kind of thing rather than controlling every single thing writing it all out and having it precisely reproduced you know it's another thing and it's it's all great i've got no axe to grind i don't really don't care but for me um I, i like to be excited by experimenting and and things that i haven't necessarily completely drilled out. I mean, I do, there is some of that as well. You know, <laughs> it's all just random. Particularly with writing melodies and, and things like that.
0: I don't know, maybe I'd be more predisposed to like it because I've listened to so much experimental music over the years. But yeah. I'm certain that would just drive some classical film score purists
1: yeah, crazy. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, well, it's, it's okay, like yeah. everything.
0: It's, it's, a, it's an evolving form. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's an interesting time as well, isn't it, for film film music? You know, I think as you've seen, you know, there are whole branches, aren't there, now of of kind of sound based scores? Um, you know, Chernobyl being the most obvious mm. obvious one, and even things like you know, Under the Skin, where you've you've got, you know, I mean, Michel Levy really is a classical composer, but it's such an original sound. You know, it's like wow, that's that's a knockout. You know, when you hear those, things, wow. Or I don't know if you saw the Lighthouse. Um, yeah. Great film. You know, I loved that yeah. film. Just, it really made me laugh and not just laugh, but I, I thought it was great, you know, on so many levels and I really enjoyed the score, you know, and a lot of that score is, I think, I don't know if you read, but I think he had a kind of like this box with like bits of metal and springs and all sorts of things that are being tortured and you can hear it. It's great. You know, it's a great, great sound. I thought it was really brave and uh, worked really well actually in the film.
0: It was, yeah. it was interesting because yeah, I think he calls it the apprehension engine. Right, um, yeah, great. And, and I know <laughs> Milan Records has released like a, a demo of him playing on it for 10 minutes, maybe yes. six or eight months ago. And it's it's such a fascinating thing. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, because he did The Witch four or five years ago, which yeah. that score got a lot of attention. And mm. then I think there was a lot of anticipation for The Lighthouse and for his score and it kind of came and went. And I know that that was definitely one of my favorites from last year. Yeah. And and I love how it's this I hate using the word soundscape because it's it's such an overused term, but Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's very much that. And then these sounds come in that almost embody the deafening roar of this lighthouse and like monolithic presence. And it's such a it's such an interesting way to use sound and palettes as your motifs and theme- themes yeah. rather than just like a like here's the lighthouse melody here's the seagull melody it's like nope there's just this sound that's going to crush you and yeah. that that sound and that tone like that's the lighthouse yeah. It, I mean, yeah i mean totally. i loved it
1: yeah that yeah, it was great really really great um i thought midsummer was a great score mm-hmm. as well and a great film, really exciting. The whole thing was exciting, actually. So, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I've, I've been listening back to quite a lot of 80s, not listening back, but watching quite a few 80s films because my, I've got youngish children and, you know, you want to play them various films, show them various films. And, uh, and it's, it's so interesting to see how things have moved on. I mean, I suppose it was a time when, for instance, there were people that had just got synclave year or they just got a Prophet Six or they just got this piece of equipment and a director would come to the studio and it's like, My God, that's incredible. I've never heard that thing. You know, it's really great. Yeah, some of those schools hold it better than, than others. But no, I think it's an interesting, really interesting time now. And you do get that kind of art, art school approach going on, as well as, you know, more traditional kind of melodic and kind of classical schools. It's uh it feels like a really open, open field and and you know, good good for it really. So yeah, yeah, that's great.
0: Yeah, I mean and I think from a an audience perspective I I understand kind of people's tastes can be quite pigeonholed but I mean mm. even this year alone there's just been a really good Mix of styles that have come out. I, I mentioned LP score for Capone, but mm. you know, at the beginning of the year, you had Christopher Willis release his score for The Personal History of David Copperfield, and then mm. I think a few months later, you had this uh, Scottish electronic musician Blank Mass release his score for Calm with Horses, which is just like yes. the exact opposite. Mm. But it, again, it's it's a really good score too. It's obviously it drew the ire of the you know more purist people, but yeah, there's just that variety coming out of really really good scores
1: i suppose you wonder whether the whole covid thing i know people are starting to readjust now and sessions are being booked but i'm not sure maybe maybe there will be more electronic and kind of smaller smaller scores more intimate sort of sounding scores that are recorded in studios like like this you know because practically you can get it done you know you can you can do it and it's just a different approach you know i mean you always need bigger kind of abbey road style sort of things but it might be a positive thing you know it might be an interesting interesting thing to force people to uh, to do more of that sort of sort of work
0: but then you know everything's cyclical so maybe that happens for the next ten five years and then in 20 years every every big film and big score is like orchestral 50 pieces yeah who knows but i mean as as someone who likes listening to you know the whole array as long as as long as good music comes out i'm happy doesn't it really doesn't matter the style
1: yeah. Oh no. True. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And
0: and you know I don't I don't want to butter you up too much, but that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about Troop Zero was the style of it. I mean, it's it's so fitting for the kind of rural Georgia setting, but yeah. you don't you don't hear kind of a more like acoustic country bluegrassy folk mix in in film music.
1: No. And and you you probably noticed, you know, that score has two distinct task really you know you have the kind of you know you have those moments where Christmas Flint the main protagonist this little girl is kind of addressing the cosmos or Viola Davis you know occasionally they're, they're, they're there they're talking to the stars they're trying to communicate with whatever's out there and you have that sort of cosmic cosmic country I called it you know sort of element where it's it's a mixture of pedal steel and traditional instruments but with like shortwave radio broadcasts and electronics and Mellotrons, and mode synthesizers and they're all mixed together and that's quite an unusual style i mean i didn't take that from any other musical genre it was more conceptually what could that be we're in the mid 70s we've got the stars but we're in georgia what happens if we put them all together what what does that sound like i don't really know but we'll find out And, and that made a really interesting interesting sound and i think a really emotional sound you know that that cue you know we are here and and things that they, they really they got me every time i heard them they, they made me feel emotional exhausting you know after three months and um, the other side of that score is the kind of simple lo-fi crunchy diddly bows and kind of slide guitars and handheld percussion and and those things that were recorded really quite quite simply but with some great musicians and then of course the whole david bowie thing you know going going through the film I mean, there's some great, license, amazing to have sort of licensed yeah. David Bowie tracks. And then I got to record a version of Space Oddity, which I spent a very long time on and found myself in a room in New Orleans doing like Space Oddity version 123. Like I was in some kind of J.G. Ballard novel, you know, in this weird high rise hotel, just Doing Space Oddity over and over again for a really long time, but yeah, I mean that there was a, a lot of scope in in that thing, and I and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I think to unite those things, you know that that's I think that's really interesting, and and I think it worked really really well. And of course, listen to me, you know I shouldn't be doing that, <laughs> <laughs> but it could you know required a lot of research and and working with some great musicians. There's a guy called Nick Payne who is a super multi instrumentalist He played on a lot of stuff, and and some of the great people.
0: It's funny, you know, you said you've done like doing a hundred some odd versions of Space Oddity. I mean, that, that sounds like a, a type of hell almost. Like taking, as, as a Bowie fan, I presume that you love that song. But like, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. so having you just do something that you love over and over. I mean, to me, it, it seems like you'd get to a point where you almost can't stand
1: it. No, it isn't, it isn't like that at all, actually. <laughs> and uh, I mean, the really terrible thing, perhaps, is that if you were my neighbor and you could hear what I do, it might drive you insane. You know, you might hear me listening to the same four bar thing all day long just changing it teeny little bit teeny little bit play it again just find it really interesting you know i do it again the next day absolutely fine no problem do that for a week that's all good but for any other normal human you know listening to somebody do that you just think well that's just a terrible torture you know that's that's how they get information out of people by playing them that kind of stuff but it isn't really like that. I don't know why. But you just sort of you get into the details and it, and it becomes very, very interesting. And and I think with Space Oddity, I loved the sound that we got with it. I thought it it sounded really good and I didn't play everything on it. So I can appreciate what other people did on it. You know, a lot of those things then are kind of working with the edit and just trying to make it work with the film because the edit will will change and you have to react to it. And sometimes that can be quite challenging to manage to kind of move things around and get them to still work musically so you know there, there is that and it was nice to be in New Orleans it was great to be in New Orleans i would never been there before have you been there
0: oh, yeah I've been there a couple of
1: times right what a great town you know yeah. I just thought it was fantastic and really friendly racially mixed welcoming so musical you know I had quite a bit of time there on my own because sometimes in the evenings when they were doing night shoots and things I just kind of drift off and then I'd go out to some little sweaty bar club where there was some tight little kind of soul band playing or whatever or jazz or or I did that thing where you you know they have the second line where there's a march through the city with musicians at the front. And I mean the second day I was there I just turned up to that and followed them for miles. And it was just one of the greatest things. It was just wonderful. You know, brilliant players. Um it was really warm as it always is in the summer in New Orleans and um it was just an absolute joy, you know, to to do that. Very inspiring, actually, to to be there, and then just to be part of the whole thing and the countryside and the humidity and the foliage and everything. You know, it was uh, if you can do it. As a, if for any of the composers, if you can get out to where they're making the film. I think it's extremely useful, you know. I mean, you don't always get the opportunity to, but it's really brilliant because you get a proper understanding of what it's like on the ground. Hopefully, that can inform what you're what you're doing.
0: That kind of makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're involved in the production process, and not only did it, would it. I imagine it'd be helpful, but I imagine you'd be interested to see what's going on.
1: You realize that there's a lot of waiting around. Another thing with Troops here, I'd, I'd written um, a song that was to be sung by cast members. So I was there with a megaphone, you know, in front of like a vast amount of people teaching them this song and kind of helping them with that as well, as well as we recorded the vocals for Space Oddity with the actors there. So, you know, I was there to, to do that as well. Um, so there was quite a bit bit to do as well. So it was a good combination of things. But I try and do it again if if they'd have me, I'd definitely come out because I just think it it's a very different experience to just getting a film that just arrives and you're on the other side of the world and like off you go. you know it, I, yeah, it's just it's a good a good thing
0: was that daunting? Not just kind of doing your own version of it, but also knowing hmm. that your music was going to be appearing kind of side by side with the selection of Bowie songs. yeah.
1: Well, no. I mean, I, you know, I really love David Bowie. I really, really do. I'm not just saying that. I mean, I've had moments of kind of epiphany, you know, listening to Bowie albums where I've just thought, wow, you know, I'm, it's blown my mind. I'm thinking particularly of the album Scary Monsters, where I remember, I remember the moment I heard that. I just could not believe it. I just thought it was incredible. You know, it's got that kind of discordant distorted Robert Fripp thing going on and and Bowie's voice is so processed and you've got these strange sounds and great songs and it's just amazing you know it really is such an amazing album and then all the Berlin albums and basically everything I'll even like fight for the 90s music and and I mean I thought his final album was I could I actually couldn't listen to it when he died and I left it and then I've only recently been able to go back to it because it, I just felt so kind of moved by the whole whole thing and I th- and I just think that's brilliant and the way he kind of you know in a very quiet and dignified way neatly summed up his life artistically and died I mean it's like Christ Almighty who is this guy you know it's such a thing and I wish he was still here but yeah so um, no I was just really really happy to be part of, of that and uh, to have that as part of the film and then you know the truth is I mean working on a version of Space Oddity it was fine because it's just an interesting thing to do. And it's kind of in my ballpark. You know, it's not like I'm, I've am i come from a band background originally. So to produce a piece of music like that, I kind of know how to do it. You know, it's just you have to get it done. But I know what's involved to, to do that. And I love it anyway. You know, if you asked me to reproduce something by John Williams, then I'd probably have, you know, a bit worried about it. But, but no, a Bowie, a Bowie track, um, I was just very happy to do it and just get the right players and get the right studios and, and do all that stuff. It was just a pleasure to do it. So I know that was, that was fine. And then, you know, the score's the score is the score, you know, it's not licensed music and it, it stands on its own and, and that's the way it should be. But it was great. It was great to have those Bowie tracks. Amazing, isn't it? You know, to, to have that in a film, it's a really, uh, really big deal. And we had a great music supervisor on that film. a guy called Jake Bugarides. Who was with Amazon? Really lovely guy, really positive and um, very, very helpful. And he did some great deals and just got us these great licensed tracks. I mean, you know, there's that Elvis, that gospel kind of Elvis track in in the film as well. I can't remember what it's called now, but I didn't know that part of Elvis's back catalogue, but it's brilliant. You know, it's really, really brilliant. And there are online, you can hear him doing those gospel things. You can <laughs> find film of him and like. Three or four other guys just doing this doo woppy kind of gospel stuff. It's really great. I didn't know it at all, and it works really, really well in in the films. I guess when you've got a budget to license some great tracks, right. and you've got a good, talented music supervisor, and the directors have got good taste and whatnot, then um, it's, it's just a pleasure to uh, to be part of that. Really, so I know it's good. All good.
0: It all turned out really well. It was a real joy to hear, and
1: yeah. it's such
0: a nice kind of balance of comedy and lightness and also those heavier moments especially that climax that you mentioned earlier of the the point where they're you know they're looking at the sky sky saying you know we are here Mm. it was a really just really lovely film
1: yeah yeah it's got a good heart that film and the sentiment of being different being a weirdo is a thing to be proud of you know is a a great thing and um, without putting any kind of negative slant on things some people hated the film, the kind of more conservative, sort of maybe more religious kind of right wing audience weren't too happy with some of the things in the film. But, you know, maybe that's the mark of a good film as well, that it isn't a sort of a bland thing that everybody just washes over people, but some people have a good strong positive reaction, some people have a strong kind of negative reaction to it. So, so it certainly had that as well, But but generally, that film's gone down really well, and I believe the viewing figures have been great. I think Amazon was super happy about it, which is which is nice. So they were good people good. to work with as well.
0: That's I mean that's great, and that's I hear people in their experiences working with uh, Netflix quite often, but mm. not as much with Amazon. I think just because you know netflix does so much and yeah, yeah. amazon is, is kind of working on that same with apple and yeah. you know, i imagine hulu's the same and so it's really nice to hear that the experience was really good i mean I, I think those those studios are almost taking an an opposite approach compared to the kind of classic studio system of of yeah. giving a lot more leeway to their creators and, yeah, and exactly i think right. from a from an audience perspective yeah. it's it's yeah. so nice
1: you've totally hit the nail on the head and i don't think I expected that I wasn't sure what to expect but in the end it turned out that they were really what you would call kind of cineasts you know they were people that were real fans of cinema they gave the directors tons of creative freedom and support and the same with the score you know I had a, a very easy ride with with that score obviously there was a lot of creative to and fro with the directors in terms of producers and things they they were quite hands-off until very near the end and then there were some comments and things but it was all it was all good constrictive positive stuff and uh, made it very very enjoyable actually so yeah no it's great
0: so i think at this point we've gone for well over an hour and i think adding adding on our conversation That's earlier it's, it's it's gone a while <laughs> i mean and it's look it's too bad because I'd, I'd love to just hit turn off the record and keep chatting because i feel like yeah. we could for quite a while but Next time I'm in the UK, hopefully it's in a post-COVID environment, I'll give you a a knock on your door.
1: Yeah, do. Please do. That would be great. And thanks. It was great great today. Nice to to chat.
0: All right. Great. You take care. And um, yeah, we'll be talking soon.
1: All right. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. See you. Bye-bye.